Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati, ready to rip it up on the Tuesday edition of Tailgate. How you feeling, man? Finally got the chain. Chain gang. Oh, dude, we're double chained up. I saw you on Good Morning Football yeah. this morning. Thank you. You wore the chain. Was that chain. to one up me? Was yeah. that to one up me? It's because you wouldn't, because you didn't have it in you. Bigger balls than me. Bigger balls than me. Loved the uh, the segment where they asked you what the most shocking moment was, and you brought up the Laramie Tunsil bong rip. <laughs> so I so a little backstory on that, how the sausage was made. <clears throat> they asked me for one. They had like they had them all themselves. They asked one. you like the night before, right? The night before. They all themselves had one. I say that i mean that was the most shocking moment when absolutely about, like right before the draft you see this video tweeted i'm literally on a show i was on the si show that year and i and i'm like going back and forth looking i'm like is this real what's going on where is he going to fall and then you know the ot1 in that class a lot of people's ot1 and then stanley comes off the board Compton comes off the board like where is it going to stop that was the most shocking one but i send that to them they all had theirs already and then the producer comes back and said, oh, you know what? One of the guys forgot about that. He wants to do it now. And I'm like, wow, that's brutal. They stole that from or, you. They said one of the guys changed his is what they said. So then I switched to uh, Aaron Rodgers' fall to the Packers. So what's funny is if you look me, at that but. hit, they put up like some B-roll while you're mm. telling the Aaron Rodgers component. <clears throat> it would have been way funnier if they put up the B-roll of the, <laughs> the Larry Tunsil bomb rent video. But That's good B-roll. That would have been pretty quality B-roll. Some other things on the Catch and Only Buzz. I want to shout out Master Gators that have reached out to me with a DM of a screenshot of a review. Love to see them so far. Please do it. If you do do, do, do that, Apple do Podcasts do. or Spotify, send me a screenshot of that review. We are sending out free 2022 final NFL draft guide. Send it via Twitter or IG. My DMs are open. Just make sure you include a screenshot of that review. We also have our mailbag episodes coming up this week. Go to speakpipe.com slash tailgate to leave a voicemail that we'll play on the show or go to Apple Podcasts and in that same review, drop a question there. Other highlights here on the Catch and Early Buzz. We brought up the guy in the Aaron Hernandez jersey on the last podcast. That's how I'm going refer to refer to him. That his name is Daniel Kelly Book on Twitter, who apparently writes for Jets Country Fan Nation. Yes. Um, on I think it's a Sports Illustrated subdomain, and he put out a mock draft two days ago. And we're gonna go over Peter Schrager's mock draft today, but I think we have to go over this guy's mock draft first because it could be it could be the most accurate today. <laughs> so go ahead. Okay, so not to pile on this guy too much, but I don't know how this gets on SI.com. Like this is this it's guy a very good take. for SI.com. A, they have their fan site, whatever, the, following the SB Nation Bleach Report, whatever business model. I'm guessing this guy doesn't get paid for this. But if he does, should get paid. Treat. We also shouldn't get paid for this. My God. Let's just re just read off some of these Some of these picks are incredible. Has. And so, this is like, it's almost worse that this isn't him predicting. This is what he thinks. He said, here's what he said. He said, I look at the first round mock, not as what the teams actually might do, but which prospects would move the meter the most for each organization. I so love, he thinks this moves the meter the most. I love some of the descriptions he includes in it too. Where So his number one is Aiden Hutchinson going to the Jags, which we've all seen, a relentless pass rusher. This guy's going right above the bar here. If he's not getting paid for it, I love his technique. Number two, Detroit Lions go Malik Willis. Three, Matt Corral of Ole Miss goes to Houston Texans. That's a crazy one. Nicobe Dean at five, I think, is wild. Tyler Linderbaum at six, we have not seen. And his, his details for Tyler Linderbaum at six is just as great in space. <laughs> I love that energy. I love that energy. Great in space. I'm, I'm taking a page out of this Is he wrong? For my next is he mock. wrong? Your next that. mock can only include three words per player. Yeah. It can't even be a full sentence. It has to be just uh, 
just, it's just just like three words. Yeah. I mean, that's all it needs. Right. Traylon Burks goes to eight to the Falcons. Shades of Randy Moss on the deep ball, which I love. Uh, oh. Tr- Trey McBride going to the Washington Commanders at 11, which is easily the highest we've seen. Shades I mean, of TJ Hawkinson. Carson Strong at 12 to the Vikings. Minnesota needs to move past the definition of insanity with quarterback Kirk Cousins. Strong does that. Cameron Thomas, who's on this podcast, goes as high as 13, a relentless pass rusher with an infectious winning attitude. Maybe I Cameron Thomas that. should have been on this guy's podcast. Maybe should have. Maybe should have. Some other ones. Nicholas petit Friere goes at 16 to the Saints. That's really high. I mean, dude, you're critiquing this as if it's really high. Like, no, we know wait, these are crazy. Wait, like, wait, you don't wait. have to keep has, saying He has it. Nick Benito, the edge from Oklahoma, going 19 to the Saints and just says Michael Parsons 2.0. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. I don't want to dig through this guy's entire mock, but it, it's it's a phenomenal piece. Check it out on SI.com. The last one that I have to highlight, though, is David Bell going 28th to the Packers. That's, and he says Bell is the true blue chip talent. Who did, I, I, I think it's Derek Stingley falling completely out of the first round. It's it's a great piece. It's a great piece. Go check it out. Um, is that all we had on the Catch Only Buzz before we get to the The, the Ben mock? McAdoo quote. Oh, yes. So Ben McAdoo. I've never been more convinced the Panthers taking quarterback at six. But continue with Ben McAdoo. So Ben McAdoo had a press conference today, who's the new offense coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, and they asked him something along the lines of, like, who is Sam your starting quarterback, Sam Darnold? And he says, yeah, Sam's our starting quarterback. And then, like, later in the press conference, he mentions, I will, you know, part of where I want to improve is how I talk to you guys. I probably shouldn't have said that Sam's our starting quarterback. I put my foot in my mouth. Is that more an indication that they're going to go Kenny Pickett or more of an indication that they're not? Maybe he wasn't supposed to say that. I don't know. Like, was he not supposed to say, maybe that's what the thought is inside the building? And he wasn't supposed to reveal that because a lot of maybe they want mm. people thinking they want to okay. go quarterback. I don't I, know. I, I could see that. But I will also say um, this is the second time we've had a quick sort of turnabout. And Trevor Sikama, PFF analyst here, brought the other one to my attention. Scott Fitterer, uh, during a press conference, I believe it was last week, talks about, he's talking about his needs. He's like, obviously, we need a tackle. Um, quarterback could be a need. And then after quarterback, he immediately pivoted to, and you know, Brian Burns is isn't under contract for too many more years. We don't know how long, like if he's gonna necessarily be here forever. Like immediately pivots to like a crazy non sequitur that obviously you're gonna try to resign Brian Burns. Obviously he's gonna you want him to be there for a while, but like starts getting like legitimately nervous in a press conference as well after he brought up the quarterback position. So something's going on at the quarterback position here in Carolina. T B D on what that actually is, but they're Putting their foot in their mouths, the Panthers brass at the moment. That's what Mac when they talk about doing. The- <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was incredible. All right, off the catch and early buzz. Before we get into the rest of the show, we want to go over Peter Schrager's mock draft, kind of go pick by pick. I do think that he always waits late in the process to do his mock drafts and only throws what out hearing. what he's hearing, exactly what he's hearing about how they're going to approach things at the top of the draft. That's why I do think that you should put a lot of stock into what he does late in the process because I think he's one of the more connected you know, people in the mock draft game. Mm-hmm. All right, the, the presenting sponsor, sponsor of this podcast is Cash App. Uh, Cash App is the easiest way to send, spend, and save your money. You can send and request money from your friends when they owe you for dinner, drinks, literally anything. Besides just sending money back and forth with Cash App, you can invest in stocks with as little as $1 as well as buy, sell, and send Bitcoin instantly. It's really that easy. Cash App allows, also lets you design your own debit card completely free to spend money anywhere you'd like. Cash App will laser print it and mail it to you all for free. And the card becomes... 
And the card comes with free discounts at your favorite places called Boosts. Sign up for Cash App today using the referral code HUTCHPOD, which gives new users $15, and Cash App will set aside $10 for each sign up to go towards the Chad Tough Foundation to battle pediatric brain cancer. The more people that use the code HUTCHPOD when registering, not only get $15 for free, but you're also helping to support the Chad Tough Foundation. Download the Cash App on the App Store or Google Play Store today. That's HUTCHPOD at Cash App. Peter Schrager, Mark Draft. Love Schrager. We've had him on this podcast before. Would you call him an elite mind in the mock draft space? I'd call him an elite mind in the mock draft space. He's also a colleague of ours, if you count our GMFB appearances. Mm. And so there's a I piece do. there. At number one overall, he has Trayvon Walker, the Georgia edge defender, going number one overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's, he's, been, on, he's been on this train for a while. Buying when it. I was on Good Morning Football two or three weeks ago, he said, you know, I obviously was talking Aiden Hutchinson, and that's who I take at number one overall, all that stuff. And he's like, yeah, I know that's what you would take. But what's Balky going to do? And a lot of his like push has been, I'm hearing Balky is interested in Trayvon Walker. Balky drafted Alden Smith. There's a lot of reasoning for why Balky would want Trayvon Walker over in Hutchinson. Well, I- so the, the underrated storyline here that I really hadn't thought about too much prior to this is the Jim Harbaugh-Trent Balky relationship, which is admittedly oh. a disaster. They hate each other. They hate each other from their time in San Francisco. Um, and that split wow. and why Harbaugh left in the first place. So that is an underrated storyline in this whole thing that really I haven't, I, I hadn't really, like I said, I didn't even about think about that. That bulky drafting Harbaugh's, you know, guy may not be something he's super interested in. If bulky passes on Aiden for that pettiness, for that's insane. Say, if you like Walker over Hutchinson, that's your prerogative. But if you do it because you're trying to get back at Jim Harbaugh, that's incredible. I mean, we just talked about it with the pizza thing in USFL. Guys aren't making decisions. We think they're making these cool, True. calm, calculated decisions with like this massive board in front of them mm-hmm. and all this data laid out and the film grinding there. Yeah. When sometimes it's just, I hate Jim Harbaugh, I'm not going to draft this guy. I think an underrated component of draft analysis, honestly, is thinking more about, hey, like oftentimes decision makers, principal mm-hmm. decision makers, make unilateral decisions. And that's not independent you know of the draft like, i mean they're, they're oftentimes someone who is the final say on things will do things that the consensus doesn't want you know a lot of the conversation is a bulk majority of the jacksonville jaguars front office and coaching staff and and and, and scouts want to go a different direction than walker whether that's hutchinson or an offensive tackle whatever it may be bulky could be looking differently right bulky said hey i'm going to make a unilateral decision here we are not going to take in hutchinson and we're going to take trayvon walker to speak more about like the prospect right? Walker for me is in this tier one of edge defenders. I have Aiden Hutchinson, then Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, George Karloftis, all top 10 on my board, which I know pales in comparison to yours. And the argument for Walker over Hutchinson that isn't pettiness, in my opinion, is obviously banking on the projection that is, he is a Miles Garrett clone in a lot of ways from a build and athleticism perspective. And at Georgia, he was not asked to play outside the tackles in a pure edge alignment a ton. He has a third of the experience playing that position than Aiden Hutchinson has in his college career. And if you can talk your coaching staff into developing a walker and talk your, you know, obviously your scouting staff that like, hey, we can get the best out of him. I, I, I can see why you'd have Walker over Hutchinson. Now, that doesn't bring up the pettiness of Harbaugh and all that stuff. But if your coaching staff, right, is confident they can turn Walker into a Miles Garrett or a premier player at the next level, then of course you buy into it. But all I'm hearing is the coaching staff doesn't think that. And if the guys who are going to be developing Walker aren't all that confident in, 
know, which oftentimes you get a D-line coach, it's like, you give me Trayvon Walker, I'll turn him into a Hall of Famer. If they aren't saying those things, I'd be really concerned with taking Trayvon Walker over Thibodeau, Hutchinson, or even George Karloftis, right? Just because so much of how good Walker is in the NFL is going to be how you play him, how you develop him, and the opportunities you give him. And mm-hmm. if your coaching staff isn't wholesale convinced that they can put Walker in a position to succeed right out of the gate and give him the opportunities to reach his maximum potential, I don't see how you avoid Hutchinson or Thibodeau or these guys at the top. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's not as outlandish as some people are billing it. You listen to Sam Monson on the NFL podcast. He's, you know, He says things like, I can't see any reason why you take him number one overall. I can. You can see the obvious reasons why you take Walker number one overall. What I can't see is if Bulky's making this unilateral decision, how in the hell are you going to get the maximum potential out of Walker if your coaching staff or your other scouts aren't even on board? Like That's going to make it that much harder to get the maximums out of Walker. Well, I can't speak to the coach staff, but I will say I think it would be insanity to draft Trayvon Walker over Aiden Hutchinson. I'll just, I will also say it. Because I don't think, for as toolsy as Trayvon Walker is, I, I don't think he's egregiously more so for that position than Aiden Hutchinson is. Yeah. You know? That's what gets underrated in the conversation. Everyone talks about Trayvon Walker as like this freaky athlete, what he could... Aiden Hutchinson is a freaky athlete yeah. in his own right. He ran yeah. a six seven one three cone at six foot seven two sixty. And people have called him, you know, bulky wants his Alden Smith in this defense, and that's like a, a physical comparison with that length. Well, you know who he passed on to draft Alden Smith? He passed on JJ Watt. You know, <laughs> like in that same draft. That kind of gets lost in this too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think off, it's crazy. off the number one overall picks, so we have Trayvon Walker going one, and then Aiden Hutchinson going two. Which I do think that if Walker goes one and Bulky gets his way, right? Because he says here is the fact that it remains is a debate make, makes me think Trent Balky is leaning Walker. Mm. Now, if Walker goes one, I don't even think the time even goes out on the clock, right? I think Aiden Hutchinson is a Detroit Lion. Quicker yes. set. You know, they don't have a need at tackle. They like Taylor Decker. They obviously like Panay Sewell. They're going to be looking at the top edge available. And in that case, I'd be leaning Hutchinson as well. At number three, has Iki Aquanu going to the Houston Texans. That's where betting markets see it as well. I think it's minus money that he is a top three pick, and I don't think he goes to Detroit, and I don't think he goes to Jacksonville. So I do think Houston Texans ultimately do grab Iki Aquanu at number four overall, and I don't th- know why this isn't a bigger lock. The New York Jets grab Kayvon Thibodeau. I think if Kayvon Thibodeau is available to the New York Jets, that is the best decision they can make. I like Thibodeau at four over any other player. The only ones, you know, you could obviously consider Neil here if Iki Aquanu is off the board. You can consider Sauce Gardner, the cornerback out of Cincinnati. Derek Stingley, cornerback out of LSU. I think the best case scenario for the Jets at number four overall is Kayvon Thibodeau if, say, Aiden Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker doesn't fall. Yeah, I, I, I might lean the corners here just personally, um, but – corner edge they're in a very good spot the Jets four and ten they'll get two good players should should get two good players and I think it's leaning that direction as well betting markets originally I think it was plus money that Kayvon Thibodeau was going to be a top five pick now it's minus 180 minus 180 that he goes inside the top five so you have to be thinking that he's in consideration obviously for the Detroit Lions at two Texans at three Jets at four and then his floor looking like five to the New York Giants now off of that he has the New York Giants taking Charles Cross Mississippi State at number five overall which is a lot higher than some mocks have had cross but I do think the league will be valuing cross I don't think he gets past the Seattle Seahawks at nine then at six Ben McAdoo's guy Kenny Pickett goes to the Carolina Panthers right now betting markets have Kenny Pickett as plus 150 to be a Carolina Panther despite Panthers picking at six that is some of the lowest odds for For, an outside the top five pick we've ever seen so Pickett all the smoke is that he's going to be a Carolina Panther the question I have for you is if Pickett doesn't go to Ben McAdoo and the, and the Carolina Panthers, how far does he fall, 
right? Because if Carolina is so high on Pickett, are there other teams that are going to be jumping at the opportunity to grab Pickett? Because he's a lot lower on a lot of other consensus boards. I can see him going to Pittsburgh. And that's the thing about this quarterback class is not even just consensus boards. It's like that fact doesn't matter. It's just landing spots wholesale. Like you don't have many teams that are would even draft a quarterback. So you have after the Lions could, then the Panthers could, then I guess the Falcons, Seahawks could, but will they pull the trigger on them that highly? TBD. But then once you get to like the teens, you have to go down to the Saints at 16 for a team that like realistically would slash could. So there's just not a lot of landing spots for the quarterbacks. You could see some of these guys fall. Should the teams at the top of the draft, cooler heads prevail in draft rooms and they go elsewhere. So yeah, I, I do though. I do though buy the picket smoke. Yeah, and I'm not the only one who, like I've said before, because the Sam Darnold stylistically just tools the ways like they just have a way of looking like each other that I put in the draft guide as the comp. Dan Orlovsky said that too. He said, you have a quarterback a lot like Kenny Pickett uh, today on, I believe it was Get Up. He said, they have a quarterback a lot like Kenny Pickett already on the roster and Sam Darnold. I don't know why you would go that route when it already didn't work out for you. <laughs> I'd be really, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if the Carolina Panthers went Kenny Pickett, but it would just be a wild series of decision-making mm -hmm. for that staff to do what they've done, obviously, with the, pick, the picks they've like, traded and all that stuff. But just look at their history at the quarterback here. What yeah. they've been doing the past three years has been egregious mismanagement. So the Giants at seven, they grabbed Sauce Gardner, Cincinnati cornerback, um, and that, that would give them Cross at five, Gardner at seven. I do think that if Hutchinson, Walker, and Thibodeau are off the board by the time the Giants pick, I think this is a, a really good situation for them, going Cross and Sauce Gardner. I think you're getting yes. legitimate talents at two high-value positions. Uh, I'd like to see them go pass rusher potentially, but again, if Hutchinson and all those guys are already off the board, it, it makes a lot of sense to consider Stingley and Cross in those spots. At eight, Atlanta Falcons grabbing Evan Neal. We have not seen this a ton in mock drafts, but it definitely makes sense all. with where their offensive line is right now. At nine, the Seattle Seahawks grab Derek Stingley Jr. I do think this is the worst-case scenario for Seattle in terms of three offensive tackles off the board, the top ones, and now you got I'm out. Worst case scenario, and I know they probably want to lock into an offensive tackle. Now, Stingley's okay. a phenomenal player, but yeah. to to not have a chance at Cross, Neal, or Aquanu by the time they're picking at nine, I don't think they'd be too thrilled at that. See, Seahawks are in a position where it's such a long-term decision at this point, where it's like, yeah, you, you would prefer an OT, but... You just take the best player on the board, man. Like mm -hmm. you're, you're not good enough to. Uh, besides, probably wide receiver. Could probably take that one off the board because of how much you've invested there. But every other position is viable. I'd say at number nine, Jamison Williams. Right now, you can bet under pick fourteen and a half at minus one fifty. I think only as minus one fifty. Only minus one fifty, and then for him to be a top ten pick. It's plus 200. Ooh, for him to be the first receiver off the board, it's plus 330. And I don't understand why those odds are where they're at. Because I do think the they Jets sell. will 100% be considering Jamison Williams at number 10 overall, even though a lot of the hype has been around Drake London of USC and obviously Garrett Wilson of Ohio State. There are multiple situations where Jamison Williams is the pick for the Jets, right? Say Atlanta goes London at eight, or Atlanta goes Garrett Wilson well, at eight. He wouldn't be wide receiver one then. But no, he wouldn't be wide receiver one then, but still. That's plus 200 Jamison Williams yeah. is a top 10 pick, and that's inside the 14 and a half where his pick number is. I am betting a lot of those props for Jamison Williams because I think he'll be in strong consideration for the Jets at 10. Yeah, I I tend to agree. And the, the one wild card is Garrett Wilson. I, I've seen him as high as four in mocks to the Jets, which whew, 
that'd be high for me. But still, it, I I don't think Drake London goes ahead of him at this point after not running at his pro day. Fair enough. That's another good data point. At number 11, Schrager has the commanders getting Garrett Wilson. I think a lot of the reports I've seen have them locking into one of the two Ohio State receivers, whether it's Garrett mm-hmm. Wilson or Chris Olave, looking to compliment Terry McLaurin. Another Ohio State wide receiver. Huh? Another Ohio State wide receiver. Yep. Minnesota Vikings grab Jermaine Johnson, Florida State. I think we've had a lot of discourse on Johnson. We did the NFL's NFLSE podcast yesterday, and he went way lower in our mock draft compared to theirs. Connor Rogers of Bleach Report also does the podcast with Trevor on NFLSE. He's big on Jermaine Johnson. We're a little bit lower on Johnson. What's your opinion of the Vikings potentially going Johnson here at 12? I don't know. I mean, they've, they obviously need edge still. Their old regime's MO was third, fourth round edge. They would probably not have taken him in the first round, but I do think new regime's going to go attack value positions, corner, or edge, probably. Off of that, Houston Texans at 13 grab Kyle Hamilton. I, I could definitely see the Texans grabbing. So at three, that would have been Iki Aquanu and Kyle Hamilton at three and 13. That one seems like we've seen that a lot, that mm-hmm. combination of those two. Ha- Hamilton, I do think, starts to be in strong consideration for the commanders at 11, potentially the Vikings at 12, Texans at 13. I do think that's where that range will start to come off the board. I don't know where his prop is currently. Let me take a quick look. I like factoring I that in. It was 10 and a half. Ten and a half. So I think over ten and a half isn't an awful bet in this case. Going to Baltimore, Trevor Penning off to tackle Northern Iowa. Goes to the Baltimore Ravens at 14. At 15, Drake London comes off the board. Goes to the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, my goodness. If Drake London does not pan out and they go after Ortega Whiteside and then London and you, a lot of the similar concerns. I, don't, I, I think, obviously, London's a better prospect. Yeah. But – Eagles fans will never live it down if London ends up being. This well, I mean, they went. Catch well, they have gone with multiple different types of wide receivers and still struck yeah. out. So, uh, I'm not sure that one. Especially what do you when think you consider of that the draft core? capital investment in uh, Arthur Whiteside was like later second. It wasn't that massive to really, you know, be mad about a guy busting at that point in the draft. But Drake London at 15, if he doesn't work out, that's a little bit different. Drake London, Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside obviously is the four. As the I, two. Stop. <laughs> stop. I'd be – I mean, that's a – you got to hope that pans out, man. You've, you've invested a lot in that position. you got to hope you can develop one of those guys into a, an obviously yeah. a premier talent. I think Devontae Smith was phenomenal last year. Obviously, Jamar Chase, like, rewrote record books and stuff, but I thought Devontae Smith was really good, and I think he gets continues to get better mm-hmm. with the Eagles. That's 16 16- – Chris Olave to the New Orleans Saints. I like that a lot. Um, I think that receiving core without Michael Thomas last year was horrendous. They need to bring in some talent there. Uh, I think Chris Olave at 16 is definitely worth the value. Then a little bit of a run here on receivers. So Drake London to the Eagles at 15, Chris Olave to the Saints at 16, and then the Chargers grab Traylon Burks, Arkansas wide receiver at 17. Is that how you see these receivers coming off the board? That will kill a lot of the teams drafting towards the back end, right? Chiefs, Packers really want receiver. If Burks and all those guys are already off the board, oh my gosh. Well, I still think they'll still be in the running for wide receivers. I I still think wide receivers are still coming off the board, but yeah, that will mean the overprop of, what was it, six and a half at wide receiver Mm -hmm. is definitely going to hit at that point. We have, after that, 
the Philadelphia Eagles picking again after London at 15. At 18, they grabbed Devin Lloyd. That's been a pretty common pick. You know, obviously, need at linebacker. I don't think they ultimately do that, though. Schrager, I'm not trying to disagree with the sources you have. I still don't think the Eagles are going to go linebacker yeah. in the first round. I think they're going to value, you know, higher value positions. At 19, Jordan Davis goes to New Orleans Saints. So the Saints come out of this with a receiver and a defensive tackle, despite a lot of the conversation being around them going after an offensive tackle, avoiding Bernard Ryman in this case, Trevor Penning already off the board, I think, before the Saints first pick obviously going to the Baltimore Ravens at 14 that does not feel like an ideal situation for them I think they want to come out of the first round with a receiver and a tackle yeah I agree that the tackle obviously trade up Canada as well but if if uh I'm trying to think of the tackle class right now at this point Tyler Smith Bernard Ryman I'd be hard pressed to see them going I mean Jordan Davis is a difference maker but like they are going to have a time with that left tackle position next year then he has Malik Willis falling all the way to 20 in this situation, going to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which I think for the longest time, you know, Malik Willis is minus 175 to be the first quarterback off the board. If he falls to 20, someone's going to take Pickett ahead of him, right? I think it would be wild to see. Well, yeah, he did in the mock. Yeah, yeah he did in the mock, right? Pickett <laughs> goes at six to the Carolina Panthers. I, I think it would be pretty wild to see Malik Willis fall that far because he I don't is, as much as he's not a polished quarterback prospect, I think he has enough tools and traits for a team to covet him inside the top 10. Like I would see if he, so if he's not first quarterback off the board, if he does fall, you know, past the Panthers at six, I think the Falcons or Seahawks are going to take him honestly. Yeah, that, I, I agree. You know, I agree. I think yeah. that's I mean, even the Saints, right? Like, why aren't you like or you have Saints, to start? Yeah. You have to start to consider it, uh, even if you don't love him as a prospect in that range, because it just starts to make too much sense from a value perspective. And this is wonder, a dream scenario for Pittsburgh. Well, I was gonna say, I do wonder if he's got some. I don't want to say inside info, but like, no trades in this mock, basically saying that's a fit that they like him a lot, that they would go up and get him otherwise. Gotcha. You know? Okay. Yeah, I don't think move. that's that. Yeah, because oftentimes you don't see trades in NFL media mocks, and maybe he's saying the Steelers are going after him, and maybe they're going up inside the in the yeah. top ten. Twenty-one. Trent McDuffie to the New England Patriots. They obviously lost J.C. Jackson this off season. McDuffie comes in at corner. Packers. Jahan Dotson. They're not drafting Jahan Dotson. The last time. Okay. So Jahan Dotson, 178 pounds. They have not drafted a sub 195 pound wide receiver before the third round in the Thompson Gutekunst era. Wow. Um, the only, they've only drafted one and it was Trevor Davis who was honestly more of a return specialist. So they have one wide receiver below 195 pounds. The guys that were 195 pounds were Randall Cobb and Jared Everett. So they covet size. They are just, I don't think they draft John Dotson. I'm not sure they even draft Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson. They fell to him. That's just their Emma. That's the scouting. They don't draft they don't draft unathletic offensive linemen traditionally. They don't draft small wide receivers. They just that's Can you not call out Schrager like that? I'm just saying. A lot I've seen a lot of mocks. I just would be absolutely floored if they actually drafted John Dotson. This would be a bad roll of the dice for Green Bay too, with so many receivers coming off the board early. I'd rather see them go Sky Moore or Pickens in this spot though than Dotson. I am higher on those two over Dotson. Twenty three Arizona Cardinals grab Zion Johnson. We've seen that pretty consistently. Linderbaum, center from Iowa, goes to Dallas Cowboys at twenty four. They're consistently attacking interior offensive line at that twenty four spot. Then Brees Hall going to the Buffalo Bills at twenty five. You know, I saw today too on the running back conversation in the first round. So Brees Hall here, I think he's the favorite to be the first running back off the board. Doug Hyde put out an article today. I mentioned him a lot on this podcast. He's a phenomenal reporter here at PFF. 
He wrote an article saying some of the more underrated prospects in this class. One of them is Isaiah Spiller. And he's heard from two sources that he'd be an early second-round pick, if not slip into the back end of the first. If Isaiah Spiller goes in the back end of the first, that would be one of the more stunning developments of this pre-draft of, of the draft. Because I am not I do not understand even Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker, two of the better running backs in this class going in the first, let alone Isaiah Spiller. Dude, I would be I couldn't fathom that. That's that just seems like an ultimate waste of resources for the only thing he has going for him. Not the only thing, I guess. Semi-productive at Texas A&M, almost three thousand yards in three seasons. Like a- any advanced metric, though, in terms of like tackle breaking, yards after contact, are very average by draft prospect standards. Six foot two seventeen. He's twenty years old. Is the only good selling point on his sort of profile at the moment. That maybe he could be ascending. Will turn twenty one before next season, though. But he ran a 4.63 at a pro day, 33-inch vertical, 9.6 broad jump. Those are not just, like, not good. Those are awful for a running back at any weight. So, yeah, that's that just not a guy you draft that high. Straight up not a guy you draft that high. Man, if he, if that rings true, I, I can imagine the PFF NFL draft show, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where everyone just, like, loses their mind. Well, just, like, go look at the NFL running backs and – I was about to say in the NFL, but just go look at any 1,000-yard running back in the NFL. Every single one will be more athletic than him mm-hmm. over the past. I'm trying to think of the last one to even come close to that level of athleticism. Maybe, maybe Kareem Hunt. Maybe Kareem Hunt. But then Kareem Hunt in college broke the most tackles in a single season we've ever seen. So there you have it. There you have it. Let's see. Next, you had Kenyon Green going to Tennessee Titans. A lot of run on interior offensive line here. Zion Johnson to the Cardinals at 23. Linderbaum to the Cowboys at 24. Bills don't go interior offensive line. They go running back. And then the Titans grab Kenyon Green, interior offensive line from Texas A&M. 27, Bucks grab Daxton Hill from Michigan. Everything I've heard is that this guy's going to be a first-rounder. One of, my, one of the bets I'd consider is minus 150 Daxon Hill is a top 32 pick. I do think that Daxon Hill ultimately sneaks into the first round. Everything I've heard says he's going to get into that range. I'm not surprised that Schrager has him going to the Bucks. And you had him in our NFL SE mock going Go to the, the Bucks. Bucks at 27. Yeah. One of the interesting things about Daxton Hill, he actually has a nearly a one inch shorter wingspan than Kyle Hamilton. So he's six really? foot. Kyle Hamilton, 6'4", one inch shorter wingspan. Almost a six foot eight wingspan. The guy is long. So, twenty eight. Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle of Georgia, goes to the Green Bay Packers. That gives the Packers Jahan Dotson and Devontae Wyatt. As a Packers shareholder, what's your reaction? They're not drafting either. They, they don't draft twenty four year olds, and they don't draft small receivers. Small receivers. I'd so. be floored if they draft either. Now, what that tells me is no, that the, the Packers front office is keeping things close to the vest and Schrager can't get locked in, and which is good. They're protecting the shareholders. Uh, they're, they're a difficult team to mock for traditionally because of, like, they don't, they don't leak a lot of stuff out. But I will say they just have not trended towards older prospects, haven't trended towards smaller wide receivers. They've broken trends at times. Clay Matthews was an older prospect coming out. Um, obviously, that one worked out well. But just traditionally but they also do covet line of scrimmage so if they are going to break that for an older prospect it would be d line o line 
Chiefs at 29 and 30 avoid receiver altogether. I don't think this is a good situation for them either, right? Like a lot of receivers already off the board. They could go Pickens here. They could go Christian Watson, could go Sky Moore, but they don't. They go George Karloftis of Purdue at 29, and then Kyler Gordon, who has been rumored as a potential sneak-in candidate for the first round. I think he's plus 150 to be a first-round pick if you're interested in betting him. And at 31, Mike Quinn, I think this is – a sick scenario for the Bengals. Mm. Tyler Smith of Tulsa goes to the Bengals at 31. I really like Andrew Booth. I really like Kyer Elam, the two cornerback prospects, as potential suitors at 31. But Tyler Smith, I just really like his trajectory as a younger player that's coming out of Tulsa yeah. as a redshirt sophomore, yeah. which you rarely see offensive line prospects leave school early when they're from Power 5 schools, let alone Group of 5. What this guy is hearing from the NFL draft committee, the ones who like tell you like where you're expected to go, is really good. And this is another guy that I'm betting goes in the first round. I, I think so. right now he is plus 120 to be a first-round pick. I like that as, as a bet a lot. I think Tyler Smith is ultimately a first-round pick when it's all said and done. And then at 32, Matt Corral, the consistent pick is quarterback at 32, prioritize the fifth-year option, all that stuff. Uh, we've, we've seen that a thousand times. Yeah. Schrager's Mock Draft. Go to NFL.com to check out Schrager's Mock Draft. He's one of the elite minds in the space. Elite if you don't get that joke, by the way, you can't tell inside jokes on the pod. We've had so many new listeners come on. Mm -hmm. Dame Brugler came on for the first time, and I was a little nervous because Dame Brugler is one of the elite minds in the space. And as part of his intro, I'm like, we're like bringing him on. And I'm like, Dane, it's great to have you on. We see you as one of the more elite minds in the space. And then Mike on the interview is like, what did you just say? <laughs> it was like not great. It was not all the great. guy to his face an elite mind in the space. It, it was wasn't just good. It wasn't good. Can I say that? It wasn't yeah. good. That's interesting. Should we get to our cornerback tiers here? Yes, sir. Before we do, shouting out another sponsor on the Tailgate Podcast. It is Simply Safe and Better Help. What do U.S. News, PC Magazine, and Popular Science have in common? They all ranked Simply Safe home security as the best home security of 2021. In fact, U.S. News just named Simply Safe the best home security of 2022. Simply Safe has freed me from worry and giving me given me peace when both Mike and I are live on YouTube away from our homes so everyone knows we're not there and they've given me a lot of security, right? Mm. Cuz right now we could get robbed. You don't know that, but Simply Safe has our back. Riggins wouldn't let us get robbed. Riggins Riggins he's, he's would definitely safe. let us get robbed. He would. He'd, befriend, He'd hump the robber. He'd befriend him. Simply go safe, home with them probably. He probably would. Simply Safe protects your whole home around the clock, 24-7, every door, every window, every dog, and every room. Simply Safe is less than a dollar a day, and you can set it up with around 30 minutes, and it always, it's always simple to use. There's never a long-term contract. You can even try it for 60 days risk-free to see if you like it. If you don't, send it back free of charge. There's nothing to lose. Simply Safe protects over 1 million homes in the United States alone. Check it out. You can customize the perfect system for your home in a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash hutch. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with their interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash hutch. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns. Stress changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel we're taking a few steps back. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely and the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp is a great way to show up for yourself and invest in your well-being because, well, you deserve some more inner peace. Visit betterhelp.com slash hutch, that's better H-E-L-P, and join over the 2 million people worldwide who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of 
of an experienced professional. Special offer to tailgate listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash hutch. Cornerback rankings. I think you're going to be, or we're going to be, I think Trevor as well, Trevor Sickling here at PFF, rare in that we have Derek Stingley at CB1. Derek Stingley, you have in your tier one above Sauce Gardner, and then you have Trent McDuffie also in your tier one. I think that's going to be another situation where you might be on, you might be the only people there. So I don't want this to come across as me bashing Sauce Gardner. He's fantastic. He's fourth on the final PFF draft board, which if you haven't seen it, go check it out on pff.com. Some late movement. Got the whole squad to give their input on the draft board. That so was cool. I appreciate you always that, reaching out in the end. That one is the group effort with the full evals. So Stingley was two on the draft board. Sauce Gardner came in at four. Trent McDuffie, I believe, at 11, just outside the top 10. To me, all close enough that I'd put him in a tier one, depending on the scheme you want, but ranked in that order. And the reason I have Stingley ahead is because he's a little more versatile in my eyes. Sauce Gardner, insane in press coverage. You know, as good a press corner as we've seen since Jalen Ramsey. Like, right up there, uh, probably better in pure press coverage than, like, Jeffrey Akuta even was at Ohio State. But he was in a scheme at Cincinnati where that was quite literally all he did. 801 of his 1,059 career coverage snaps came in press coverage. He, that's it. Like, you, you don't get to as much. Like, there are so few schemes in the NFL that are going to allow him to do that. So if he goes to one of those schemes, he'll be excellent. Like, he goes to the Chiefs. You know, a defense that really prioritized that on the outside, by all means, he will be excellent. But from off coverage, to me, it is quite clearly Derek Stingley over Ahmad Gardner. And over the course of his career in zone coverage, Derek Stingley Jr., 31% completion percentage against. Only 12 completions his entire collegiate career in zone coverage. His ball skills and instincts, I think, are being slept on at the cornerback position in terms of how well he sees routes develop, how well he breaks on footballs. That is why... Derek Stingley, I believe in. And now man coverage, press man, is the most valuable aspect of the position. But again, it is not the entire position. And that is why Derek Stingley's below Mod Garner. Sauce Garner is a pure press man corner, but he's damn good in his own right. And then he also has a little bit more versatility to play in different schemes. That's what breaks the tie for me. They're both like two and four in the draft board. I see this cornerback class as insanely talented at the top. I love these guys' cornerback prospects. Some of the best we've seen at the position. That's, though, the tiebreaker, shall we say, between those two. I think with Stingley, too, just to cut in real quickly, Jump why in. he's my cornerback one, I think it's just been vastly overstated how, you know, what his 2020 and 2021 tape was, like, it in terms of, like, not being as good. And it wasn't, but that's only because what he did in 2019 was we'll literally never see again. I've said that a thousand times. I think what he did as a true freshman at 18 years old in the SEC against the receivers he went against, we will not see again. And he still performed well the past two seasons. Was he banged up? Sure. Was it as good from a production standpoint as the previous, you know, as his 2019 season? No, but like you still see a lot of what you saw in 2019 in his 2020 and 2021 film. And you have to, you have to, in my opinion, bet on a player that has such effortless, seamless, movement skills and athleticism mm -hmm. at that cornerback position, especially someone who has great ball skills. You've been quoted a thousand times about this guy could play receiver. You yeah. know, like that's how good he is at attacking the ball in the air. So Stingley is, is comfortably my CB1 as well. I still see Derek Stingley and Sauce Gardner as top 10 players in this class. McDuffie, however, he's not my, he's not my tier one. Like I, yeah. I don't, I don't have him in my tier one. I actually like Andrew Booth over McDuffie on oh. my final cornerback rankings. Go and then it. McDuffie, Elam and Kyler Gordon are in my tier three. So, to get just a little bit more, Derek Stingley also will not turn 21 until June of this year. 
young, young dude coming out. So mm-hmm. lots of like there. Lots of like Sauce Gardner, obviously. Not a touchdown over his entire collegiate career. Did very well against Jamison Williams at the line of scrimmage in that game. Obviously, blue chip talents, both of them. Trent McDuffie, though, I believe is as well. To me, he's the best tackler, the best, you know, the most versatile of these three. If you wanted him to drop down and cover the slot, he just has a game that reminds me a lot of Jair Alexander. Now, he's not quite there athletically, did not test to that degree. A tick below in terms of speed, similar jumps and athleticism in that regard. But Trent McDuffie, one of the best tacklers, one of the smoothest, some of the smoothest hips in this draft class, probably better fit for like your zone cover four sort of teams that are proliferating around the NFL. That's his fit, but the dude's really never played bad football at Washington. He actually allowed fewer first downs in his career. So the same, almost identical amount of coverage snaps to Derek Stingley, 200 fewer coverage snaps than Ahmad Gardner. He allowed the fewest first downs. He allowed only 24 first downs his entire collegiate career. Sauce Gardner, 31. Derek Stingley, 38. Man, that is wild. Stingy. That is, that is. I mean, his production is up there with the best in this class. Yeah. Like he, he and Kyler Gordon, though, were super productive in Washington uh, and, and had um, some elite skills there. Tier two for you, where are we at? So the tier two then would be Andrew Booth Jr., Clemson Corner, who's in your tier one, and Kyer Elam, the Florida Corner, who... I think is still a first-round type of talent. I think he could still, for teams in the back end of the first round, but he's another guy who you would like him more in press coverage. And now he went low at the combine, 439 at 6'2", 191, long press corner. That is the ideal skill set and only 20 years old still. They'll turn 21 until May. So another guy who's productive at a young age at Florida, had an 89.8 coverage grade as a true freshman back in 2019 on 207 coverage snaps. Obviously this past year, a little dinged up. Not his best season. Some penalty issues arose, seven penalties this past year, but the press skill set is still what's coveted the most, and that is when he's in press coverage, he looks like a first-round corner. Yeah. I I have McDuffie in that Tier 2. McDuffie, Gordon, and Elam all in Tier 2 in this class. McDuffie, Elam, then Kyler Gordon. I do think that some teams won't like Elam, though, right? Like, they, mm-hmm. we go back to how teams build their boards. They build their boards for their defenses. And for Kyrie Elam, you're going to – the teams that run a lot of press are going to want Elam over the teams that don't. And that, I think, when you look at the Chiefs at the back end, the Bengals at the back end, I think teams that do want to have their guys on the line of scrimmage, I think that's ultimately going to be, you know, that area where he could possibly come off the board. Tier 3 for you. Tier 3 for me at the cornerback position is where it starts to really fall off. Yeah. And, and like – I it said, sucks I really to see like Kyler Gordon in your tier three. Are you not that high on him? I'm not super high on Kyler Gordon. I like him as a, honestly, more of like a slot safety than a pure cornerback. Um, these guys in this tier all have sort of knocks on them. So that that's my thing about Gordon. And then the speed at the combine was a touch concerning, um, given the role he played, which was, again, a lot of slot and a lot of bail in that cover three defense for Washington. Roger McCurry, a lot of press man, but then again, tiny, tiny arms. Some of the shortest arms you'll ever see for a guy who's played a lot of press man at the collegiate level. Not a high-end athlete either. So for like a guy who is a press man corner to have short arms and be middlingly athletic, just your game ends up looking a lot different at the NFL level. You know, like that's like, those are, you know, red flag, red flag for the type of player he is. Now, I think he's super talented. I think he's very heady cornerback, very smart player, but... Those are too big a physical knocks for me to really get on board with him super highly. And then Cam Taylor-Britt is in this tier two to the Nebraska corner, who I think is also maybe 
a possible safety convert. He is the most, probably the most physical corner after Sauce Gardner in this class. That guy, as a tackler, has some hits on his tape. He comes in fearless at the catch point. You know, all the uh, reminds me of, and this isn't going to be a great comp, but the way he plays the catch point reminds me of the way, um, gosh, I can't even remember his name, the Raiders cornerback who's now out of the NFL entirely. Um, um, DJ Hayden? No, who's the, from Ohio State. Oh, uh, Damon Arnett. Damon Arnett. Damon Arnett, that was like his biggest selling point coming out. Is Damon Arnett attacked the catch point like he was spiking volleyballs. That's the way you can't Taylor Britt plays. Super physical, ran a 4-3-6, has that to his game, but is really rough around the edges in terms of just like when he's breaking on stuff, his instincts, the football IQ aspect, all over the map in that regard. And then I tossed in Marcus Jones to this, the Houston corner slash return man you got to mention the return ability literally won a game this past year against smu on a kick return with i think like less than two minutes left in the fourth quarter very sick i think he he's uh has the most return touchdowns of anyone in this draft class a ton of ball production at houston this past year but he's 5'8 174 he will end up in the slot that is going to be his position but man he's physical 83.1 run defense grade as a corner at that size last year like there's some there's enough antoine winfield-esque dog in his game that I'm buying. I usually the small corners, you know, guys who are limited, you usually should not should not be this high on guys like that. They do get mossed at the catch point. He has already gotten mossed at the catch point, but still buy into the football player that he is. Marcus Jones too, I think he was on this podcast and we talked about the senior bowl and his that opportunity he had there and he ultimately pulled out due to an injury. Yeah. And I think if he you know, was unfortunate. among the cornerback talent that was there, right? He could have stood out. He could have really stood out if he wasn't hurt. I mean, you could say a lot of that you know, um Luke Decky got hurt and wasn't able to play at the senior bowl. Cameron Thomas got hurt and wasn't able to play at the senior bowl. Marcus Jones, like that is such you know, we bring it up every year when we're talking about senior bowl, but it's such an important part of this process and it can really elevate guys mm -hmm. in this pre draft process to just put more out there on tape. So uh, Marcus Jones in that tier three for you, the Houston cornerback. Tier four, go ahead and list off the names. I think you're missing a guy though. Sam Houston States, you don't like Zion McCollum? Are you moving him to safety? Oh, dude, I don't like Zion McCollum. He's I that not freaky athlete at Sam Houston State though. Everyone yeah. wants to put him in that Tariq Woolen tier. I, his tape was just so concerning to me. So Zion McCollum's the Sam Houston State. He had he was the 10 RAS yeah, athlete. The super athlete. 6'2", 200 pounds, somewhat long arms, but then 4-3-3 with unbelievable short shuttle and three count. And it was like 99th percentile in both of those. Super athlete, but like he allowed like 400 yards at Sam Houston State last year. Yeah. That shouldn't be possible. <laughs> when you're that athletic, all you got to do is kind of just like jog alongside a guy and he couldn't even do that his ball skills and like finding the football was tough on his tape and now Tariq Woolen's no sort of polished product himself but he at least kind of has an excuse dude just switched from wide receiver two years ago because he dropped seven of 31 catchable passes at wide receiver for UTSA coach in the middle of the season got pissed maybe not got pissed but in the middle of the season they switched him to cornerback you had the, he said to you right he played Madden to to try to trick one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he told Doug that. Doug, Doug that. He, told, he played Madden to figure out the cornerback position. What are you supposed to do? Which I'm sure Madden's realism these days definitely probably gave him a top notch, <laughs> <laughs> top notch uh, scouting report there. But four two six speed and unbelievable wingspan for a corner, and kind of like figuring it out already. So, so definitely has some aspects to like about his game, especially at the line of scrimmage and how he presses opposing wide receivers. Like there were reps. At Senior Bowl, he wasn't perfect by any means during the week practice at Senior Bowl, but it was when he
he had a route shut down, it was done. There was no like quarterbacks weren't even throwing the ball because it was stupid to even do so. So that's the type of cornerback you could be getting. And again, has an excuse. Only two years playing this position. Jalen Armour Davis is next on this Alabama cornerback, a guy who I believe. So of the two Alabama cornerbacks, my opinion, the far better one is prospect Josh Joe being the other. But tore his ACL before he even played a snap for Alabama. So behind the eight ball, fell down the depth chart. Took him a while to get back into favor, but this past season earns a uh, coverage grade in the 80s, played very well in a press man, but also off coverage. I think he's a versatile all-around sort of cornerback, can do a little bit of both. Good size and length and 4.39 speed at the combine. So he ticks a lot of boxes, just haven't seen a ton of them, and he ended up a top 100 player on the PFF draft board. Next guy on this list is Damari Mathis, who is so ridiculously explosive. He went 4.36, I believe, at the combine and then had an 11-foot broad and a 41-inch vertical. He, he is he is physical too, but just inconsistent on his tape, up and down performance, um, still rough around the edge. I mean, only under 65.7 coverage grade last year, but a guy who, super physical, like I said, 87.5 run defense grade, very quick to fill. Still had a ton of stops and a ton of tackles in the run game to where interesting for like zone teams with his tackling ability and how quickly he can cover space would not surprise me at all if he ended up in Indianapolis Colt. That's like what their prototype is, what they covet at that position. So Damari Mathis, that guy, I threw Cordell Flott in here, another LSU cornerback who we've talked about on the show prior. Came out early. Came out early. He's 20 years old. He got some awful advice to come out early or he was not going to qualify academically next year. I don't know what it is, but not trying to say that, but for him to come out at this, like he sh objectively should not have come out. Like he's going to be a day three pick when, if he comes back to LSU, puts on some weight, cause he's 6'1", 175, but is only 20 years old. Won't even turn 21 until August of this year. So training camp, he turns 21. Needs to put on about 10 to 15 pounds at minimum to even see an NFL field, but was a slot corner Graded out well, though, from slot. 84.8 coverage grade. Has that sort of ability or that want to that makes you think he can overcome that size disadvantage. And a good athlete in his own right. 4540. 10-2 broad jump. 6923 cone and a 4-1 shuttle. All-around athlete, just, again, tiny and probably should have come back to school. But, like, I'll bet on the younger guys at the position quicker than I will, like the 24-year-olds. So he's in that tier. Martin Emerson's in this tier. He's another just pterodactyl type, live at the line of scrimmage, which is worrisome because Mississippi State objectively did not do that with him. He did not have a ton of press coverage snaps in Mississippi State, but like his whole thing is getting to footballs, getting his hands on balls, had 12 pass breakups back in 2020. Only one pick for his career, though, not great instincts from off, but he has one of the biggest wingspans at the position in the draft class. So yeah, I'm going to bet on a guy like Martin Emerson with 33 and a half inch arms for a six foot one corner. So that's another guy. And then Joshua Williams and Jerron Bland are the last two in this tier. Jerron Bland, Fresno State corner, transferred from Sacramento State. Only one year of FBS play, but he was impressive. I, I think he's one of the – him and Williams are both very smooth. They may not be high-end athletes. They might not tick that, like, explosive whatever box. But for taller corners, these guys can move. And I, I thought Williams – we didn't obviously get Fayetteville State tape. It is D2. It is a low, low level of competition. Watching that tape probably would not even glean much. But his senior bowl tape was 
for my money, the most impressive of any of the guys in attendance. He was, especially during the game itself, just has some gamer traits to him. And to look like he belonged, coming from that level of competition, always a guy I'm going to bump up a little bit, even above where I think, like, he looked because it's tough. Like, most of the guys that come from a very low level of competition just do not look like they belong in Senior Bowl. It's tough. Like, your first time you ever playing guys that caliber of athlete. And Joshua Williams looked like he belonged. Well, there you have it, man. The tier four of corners. I do think that it speaks to the lack of depth at this class, right? I think it's after an odd corner class, I'd say. You have Stingley, Gardner, McDuffie, Booth, Elam. Then after that, like you're looking at a lot of slot types too, right? Or like projected outside cornerback types that will need some help. Yeah, like, there's just an odd number of, I'd say like super high-end athletes that are just not corners yeah. yet. You know? I mean, how many of these guys would you even be like comfortable starting week one outside of the top five? That's the thing. Not a lot. Not a lot. Not I mean, lot. Roger McCreary, maybe, but mm -hmm. even then he probably best projects as a slot. Kyler Gordon, yeah. maybe could best project as a slot with the shorter arms and Marcus Jones, a slot. I, I'm, if you want a cornerback in this class, you're probably gonna have draft one of the first three too. That's why I do feel that all of the five that you have here, Stingley, Gardner, McDuffie, Booth, and Elam are all first round picks. I mm -hmm. think all five of them go in the first round because yeah. those five have I think legitimate opportunity at starting on the outside in mm -hmm. the NFL compared to some of these other guys that are going to be project players that you'll have to develop in years in the league. Before we get into the delete your tweet and generational prospect segment, something we haven't touched on at all on the catch and early buzz, I think of late is the AJ Brown stuff. You see AJ Brown tweet yesterday that, you know, some of the stuff, you know, about, um, he says, I'm, I'm a diva and a bad teammate all of a sudden. LOL, okay, do what you have to do, and I will too. And then he takes Tennessee out of his bio, which I've been on this podcast talking about how much that's stupid. But if it's a leverage play and it works and, and that allows agencies and, and players more leverage in these contract negotiations, it I doesn't. guess. It doesn't. You don't think it does? It doesn't. Well, it, 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 garners, it has to if they're doing it, it right? There's no, way, there's no way. The, the act of itself, like the public attention of it may – may give them leverage if it doesn't give them leverage then i think the agents wouldn't be telling them to do it like i honestly think this is like agent approved agent instructed shit like i don't like it has to be there's no way if agents thought this that lost then they lost leverage from these types of things coming out on social media then they wouldn't be happening okay when kyler murray does this whole thing on ig and then he comes out with this like big ass statement like i do think that this is this is definitely a product of that i will just say i have zero interest in talking about any of these things until someone's actually going to miss or hold in or hold out a training camp an actual didn't event so Schefter said that event. Schefter said McLaurin Debo and AJ Brown are all threatening that okay when they threatening I don't care when they actually do then I'll talk about it until then I just I'm of the opinion sign them and the, get to a deal it's all posturing it's all it's it's the agents want us to talk about this so like that's what they want us to do not Did, to say like I'm um anti-player but like I'm not just gonna dance did I ever bring this up to you, though? When they actually hold out, then I'll talk. I have a piece of evidence and a, a, a detail that you might it might change your opinion. What's this detail? Someone randomly on Twitter DM'd me, who is a barber, apparently. Okay. And he's a barber for one of the guys in the Jets front office. And they said they were working on a deal for a big-bodied yak type. I don't know. I don't You're a big body <laughs> I'm a big-bodied <laughs> yak type. Um, maybe that guy, who is a barber, knows more than you do. Hmm. Hmm. Debo Samuel could be Debo On Samuel. Not a big body first. guy, but still, he's I'll take big it. body. He's like two fifteen. That's true. That's true. He's just not, yeah. I think that's fair. All right. Delete the tweet. This one is uh, I don't. I couldn't put another of my own tweets on here because you got like 
absolutely bodied for this. I want someone else to delete this tweet. This was okay. So this was last week, the PFF college account, without my knowledge. I mean, they take the quotes in the podcast, always to make quote graphics without any sort of approval. It doesn't bother me, truthfully, but this one got got the fans going. So I, I said last week when comparing Aiden Hutchinson's like combine, I said he's Aiden Hutchinson's a better athlete than the Bosa brothers. Like objectively, you did say that. I was I remember hearing you say objectively it. his combine measurables were better. That's you said not, that on the NFL podcast, and you said that on this podcast. That's not like a hot take. Go look at their measurables; they're better. So that one, whatever. It got Michael Parsons quoted by Michael Parsons. It got quoted by George Kittle, and it got my DMs in Fuego. Let me read some of these to you. Did you get bomb threats? I got. I had people commenting on Instagram posts of mine. Some of these comments just on a picture of me and my girlfriend, garbage analysts, analysts too. I guess he thinks uh, my girlfriend does. Uh, That's draft incredible. Said, "Ain't no way in hell you tried to say Aiden is better than the Bosa brothers. How dumb are you? Do you even watch any type of football? Ain't no way a uh, uh, guy named Aiden is better than Nick Bosa." Are you the pendejo that said Hutchinson is better than the Bosa brothers? Bro said Hutchinson is better than the Bosa brothers. These are all comments on my pictures. These aren't even DMs yet. Let me get to some of the DMs. It said, that turtleneck shows you know nothing about sports, <laughs> which that was actually. That's pretty good. That one made me That's crack pretty up. Good. And then here are some of the DMs. I just want you to know you're an idiot, and if you're trolling, you're still an idiot. Joey and Nick are that. the two best defensive ends in the league, also in the sport. If I was your boss, you'd be fired right now. You're a fucking dumbass. Don't ever say some dumb shit like this again. They were in. They were in. That reminds me and of... So I want that tweet deleted, is what I was basically saying. I actually don't. It doesn't bother me, but that I one mean, got the people going. It got the people going. And I think any nothing gets people going, like the general fans, more than when like players get in. So when George Kittle and Micah Parsons are quote tweeting oh, it, yeah. and you're getting absolutely body bagged, it's, it's going to... Sp- start a fire so it goes back to because the people that uh, it's like the take is because people that follow those people mm-hmm. are the, the the ones who are like and then reply to those people yes are the lowest totem pole of fans of like the guys who will be bomb threatening you yeah and will be when i sent out that quote about the eagles potentially being a good bet at plus 1400 to be to have the fewest wins in the nfl the guy literally said i want your address i want to send a bomb to your house like like there's fans out there that are absolutely absurd did i ever tell you a story about how nick Ballore had a fan like come into his dms like that because of the cd lamb thing right yeah and then he like ended up convincing him that he was potentially getting a job with the seahawks the fan no way did he did that? <laughs> that dude does i can't probably tell the whole story on the pod because it but it was it was a good one that's pretty fantastic all right so that's a good delete tweet michael parsons george kittle quote tweeting you into oblivion was was fun to watch i'll say that it was fun to watch now the generational prospect bracket if you've been following along tailgate we've been doing this for different prospects since 2015 for now we are doing edge 2015 pff's edge one was vic beasley of clemson we loved vic beasley coming out he was the number three overall player on pff's draft board we didn't have draft board that year it's in the mock draft in the mock draft in 2016, number one on the draft board was Joey Bosa, who is not as athletic as Aiden Hutchinson, as you said, which we, we don't have to get into. Yeah. Miles Garrett was Please the not. number one player on the 2017 draft board coming out of Texas A&M. Harold Landry was the number one edge on the 2018 draft board and was the 12th ranked player. Then in 2019, Nick Bosa, the number two player in the 2019 NFL draft. In 2020, Chase Young, the number three overall player. 21, not a high edge group. Quiddy Pay, the number 24 
uh, overall player on PFF's draft board and the number one edge in that class. And then another Michigan guy, Aiden Hutchinson, number one player on the draft board and the number one edge in this class. We're on the right side of history with a lot of those. I think so. I think so. PFF's edge grades are really good in college. And also Mm -hmm. Eric Eager, data scientist here at PFF, has done a lot with identifying predictive metrics for that Mm -hmm. position specifically. And a lot of that is stuff that Trayvon Walker has. (laughs) Length. Yeah. explosiveness size yeah. and when you compare that and create composite scores around athletic testing measurables and obviously production grades at the college level i do think that our edge grades have 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 rung fairly true maybe outside of the beasley one being probably the most egregious but first matchup is beasley versus hutchinson hutchinson Hutch- beasley actually didn't grade that well in college uh he was more of a guy who's an athletic project i'll grab his grades here in a second but this one to me it's it's eight I mean, I don't think that one's really much of a debate. I agree. I think I, I'm going to go Aiden over Vic Beasley. So only 88.4 pass rushing grade his final year of at Clemson. So to compare that to Hutchinson's what 94 point something or another, it's he was somewhat productive, but not to the degree that Hutchinson is. And then Hutchinson's a better athlete too. Joey Bosa versus Quiddy Pay. This one's obviously Bosa. Okay. I, I mean, Quiddy Pay, we weren't even high on that edge group as a whole. Bosa wins that by a landslide. Then here's the heavyweight matchup Miles Garrett versus Chase Young. It has to be, I want to say it's Young. I, like, dude, we were really high on Young, and Young had the production, had the athletic testing, had all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Garrett, though, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't here at PFF when we were doing that draft board, and I don't remember how high we were on Garrett. I know he's the number one overall player on our draft board, but I remember the conversation we had about Chase Young in that 2020 draft. We felt like he was can't miss. Like I don't think anyone in the building thought Chase Young was ever anything but like Hall of Famer. It was the way we talked about Chase Young. I think we talked more highly of Young than we did Aiden Hutchinson. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I think gonna have to lean Chase Young for this one over Miles Garrett, which yeah. I think is. I wasn't here for Garrett, but I don't think that's all that crazy. Uh, then Harold Landry versus Nick Bosa. That's obviously Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa winning that one. Get it. After that, it's Aiden versus Joey. Aiden versus Nick. Aiden versus Nick. This one's tough. I, I lean Nick because, and this is bad to say, but like he was Joey Bosa. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They were the same person, are the same person, and you saw it work with Joey. Like the way they. They're pass rushing the whatever the sequence they go through, the whatever the uh, who's the D line coach for Ohio State that they just like run to a fucking T. Mm-hmm. It works and they ran it better than anyone else and they have insanely good hands and they have the agility and bend of much smaller dudes. So as much as I love Aiden Hutchins' prospect, I think he's the number one pick in this class, I'd still lean Nick Bosa in terms of assuredness of him producing at the next the level. The only, and I, I'm not going to disagree with you, the only reason I would consider Hutchinson over Bosa is I remember so much of the conversation in the 2019 draft, I remember working with Steve closely on this, is that he was hurt, you know, and then the injury was yes, concerning. That was like the hamstring stuff was a lot of, like, I remember the only, I mean, we wrote like a pros and ACL in high school too, yeah. right? He like, or had something, he had multiple big injuries already by the time he came out. The core muscle that year, and then, so... That was concerning. And that's why, in the end, it might not end up being him because there were those concerns. But also, like, Hutch broke his leg the year prior. 
That's not the same though. I mean, there were a lot Quite, of concerns yeah. with the tightness and all that stuff mm -hmm. in his legs. And, and like, I remember we we were typing out like some graphics for the YouTube channel. That's when Steve was running the video department here at PFF, and we were writing out strengths for Nick Bosa and then weaknesses. It was like he's hurt, like the injury. That was all we had. Yeah. So I, I'm fine with going Bosa here, but I do remember that was a big reason why, yeah. like maybe we were lower on him first. And others. I will say, if you want to give the age thing, so like Bosa was junior, Hutchinson senior when he broke out or had his big year. Hutchinson will be only two months older than Nick Bosa when he's drafted. So, yes, a full class younger, but not that much actually older. So, Next is Chase Young versus Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa. <sighs> Joey has to is it joey was different dude i i don't know but chase i don't know that one's tough that one this is a heavyweight this is a heavyweight let me go back and look joey bosa i'm trying to re trying to refresh the memes here because chase young was solid as a freshman good as a sophomore unreal as junior bosa we only got a sophomore year but was like he was unreal as a sophomore i mean yeah. as a true sophomore 928 snaps 92.1 pass rushing grade to like be that productive and have that high grade over that workload which is just literally not coming off the field is pretty insane now there were the athleticism concerns he ran a 486 coming out he was not he was not your prototypical don't put that on a quote graphic he was not your prototypical <laughs> four six guy but ah uh, this one's tough let's let's go to chase young's chase young now so 92.1 is sophomore i think 90.4 is a junior Chase Young went 91.2 as a sophomore, 96.4 as a junior. Yeah. I mean, the grading was insane. The, I, I'm like, fine. I think You're be splitting hairs at this point. I think you'd be revisionist to not go Chase Young, honestly. Okay. Let's do it. Just with the grade he had that year. And then Nick Bosa versus Chase Young, again, I think it'd be revisionist to not say Chase Young. Chase Young is the generational edge prospect above Sadly. the Bosa's, above the Garrett's, above the Hutchinson's. Very curious to see how he does this upcoming season because – his rookie year was 87.1 overall grade. Like, it was as advertised. You know, like, that was what we thought. We are like, impact player right out the gate, turning into Hall of Fame caliber player three year three, year four. Impact player right out the gate, then year two was not decidedly. So, and then, wait, Torres ACL, is that mm -hmm. right? So, damn. Still only 23 years old. Um, literally just turned 23, too. So, still young, still ascending, TBD. Off of the generational prospect bracket, we now go to interviews with two of our guys in this draft class. Luke Gadecki, offensive line prospect coming out of Central Michigan, and then also San Diego State legend Cameron Thomas. Let's go ahead and get to those interviews. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is Central Michigan offensive tackle Luke Gadecki. I, I am so excited to have you on, man. This is going to be a fantastic show. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for having me on, Austin. It's my pleasure. Where I want to start, man, is let's wind back the clocks a little bit. You know, you're, you're from Wisconsin. I think it's about 40 miles, 40 miles south of Green Bay. I'm sure you're a diehard Packers fan. Maybe some of your family members are shareholders as well. Um, I think that you don't, you're a huge basketball player in high school. You're also a really talented football player. I think you get hurt your senior year, but still win like first team all conference honors, all this crazy stuff. You still don't have any offers, right? You're a no star recruit coming out. You make this decision to walk on at Stevens point and you're the starting tight end for them by the end of that first season. What was that? What was going through your head at that point? Right. You obviously wanted to still play football. You obviously still wanted to play sports, but what drew you to Stevens point and what, you know, talk me through that specific decision to walk on, uh, you know, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always had aspirations of playing in the NFL, so thought I had to go to D1 school in order to make that uh, make that dream come true. But like you said, I had no recruiting process, no star athlete, 
like just had to find a way and was going to Stevens Point for their chemical engineering and paper science program and was going to continue to play football there. Um, so that's basically how I ended up there. Yeah. So at Stevens Point, you have some success. You know, I think after that first season, you get a preferred walk-on opportunity from Wisconsin, hometown Wisconsin. That had to have been even surreal, right? Obviously, it's not a, a scholarship offer, but a preferred walk-on opportunity with the Badgers had to have really put you in a different position. But you ultimately make the decision to go to the Chips. Fire up Chips. They give you a full ride to Central Michigan. You make that call. You go and play for them. Uh, did, how tempting was that offer from Wisconsin, right, knowing that you're from the state? Um, and I guess what ultimately kind of tipped the scales for you to choose the Chips? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely uh, definitely a very tough decision. I mean, like, after my freshman year at Siemens Point, I just made a cut up of myself and sent it out to both schools. And like you said, Wisconsin was like, they are like, I'd have to pass enrollments and then maybe I'd make the team. And then Central, I, I just asked both of them for a walk-on opportunity, but Central ended up offering me a full scholarship. But with that being said, I literally sat on the decision for two weeks, just being that – diehard Badgers fan through and through but just knowing the financial burden it would put on my family and everything just knew uh Central Michigan was a would have been the better pick for me long term well I think you made a great decision right I think the uh, Central Michigan is a phenomenal program and you had a lot of success there over the course of your career where do you think your game has improved the most right I think when you were first being recruited to Central Michigan it was a tight end opportunity knowing that maybe you get kicked into offensive line you play tackle there you have success opposite of uh, another guy with a wild story right Bernard Ryman coming from Austria and his game improving too you know where would you say your game has gotten better the most right where has it improved the most over the course of your career uh, I would say um, definitely I'm um, just continuing to improve at run blocking. I mean, as tight end, as you know, like you're still involved. And I, myself, I was heavily involved with run blocking. So continue to improve on that. But then obviously with offensive line, you have the nuance of pass protection. You got to go backwards while someone's running full, full speed at you. So I never had that exposure at tight end. So just over the years kind of building that, learning new nuances to it, um, new techniques and everything and just continue to improve in that in that aspect i mean definitely continue to improve and working on it day by day trying to perfect my technique and craft what's been your process specifically in the film room i think with offensive line i've talked to different prospects coming out and they mention how much they watch their opponents right what pass rush moves does he use uh, you know what's his first step like how does he play the run what's it like on third down versus first downs when you're in the film room there at central michigan what did you prioritize specifically in opponent film study and i i guess speak to philosophically what your approach was when you watched it yeah yeah so i like to go in and like the first few days of the week I'd really focus on first and second down how he plays the run how he plays the pass and first and second down obviously you can take more advantage and be more aggressive in your sets then so just watch that and then took notes and then it'd be like Wednesday I'd kind of review those notes and kind of decompress a little bit and then Thursday and Friday I'd go to third down and watch uh watch what pass moves they do watch what they did well watched uh, kind of what moves they didn't have and take notes again. And then that Friday night, I would uh, I would look at my notes again. And I would just, so then I'd just have his first, second run and pass, and then third down pass as well. So then just compartmentalize all that information. And then Saturday, I just learned, learned what I needed to learn throughout the week. So I'm ready to go and can play fast. Love that. Yeah, I think you, you do all the work in the leading up 
in the week leading up to the game. So you don't think on Saturdays, right? You need to be reacting on Saturdays and obviously playing fast on Saturdays. How about in the summer? Do you ever turn on tape of NFL guys? Are there NFL offensive linemen that you watch a lot of, maybe even with Bernard, and, and look at some of the game that they have? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I really like watching, uh, like, Braden Smith. Um, I really like uh, – I mean, he's a shorter arm tackle in the league, but yet he still does a he does still does a heck of a job, and mm-hmm. still I uh, I mean in pass protection, just watching uh, kind of his different technique he has to use compared to a long arm tackle. So I really enjoy watching him. Um, Zach Martin as well. I mean, I don't uh, if you're a true if you if you truly love football, you gotta definitely take a look at Zach Martin. I mean, it's just complete carnage every play. There's someone <laughs> on the ground. So I really like watching him. His run block is phenomenal. His pass blocking is. Um, and then uh, every once in a while, I'll turn on uh, some older tape from Joe Staley just because, uh, I mean, he's a former Chippewa, one of the best tackles to ever play the game. I mean, he's a little uh, a little bit – his arms are a little bit on the shorter side, but obviously was able to get the job done. So really mm-hmm. like watching him. I mean, he was a phenomenal run blocker at the point of attack so really like watching him that that's phenomenal you brought up Braden Smith he's actually one of my favorite interviews that I've done I remember talking to him when he was coming out of Auburn and he was a guard and you know there weren't teams really talking about him playing tackle in the NFL and he gets this opportunity with the Indianapolis Colts being that short arm tackle I think he's the shortest arm tackle starting in the NFL and obviously is still having a lot of success coming off a big monster second contract that's great that you brought him up um what's your relationship like with Bernard I talked about him a little bit uh, I've also talked to him a handful of times in this pre-draft process he seems like a super fun loving guy that just like loves football that's evident in him crossing the pond right to come play high school football and then obviously pursue it at the collegiate ranks what's he like in practice what's he like off the field yeah yeah definitely uh bernard he's my best friend on the team by far i mean i'll uh i like to grill out and so i have this little tiny weber grill that i'll have him and his girlfriend over from time to time and we'll just grill hang out play games watch a movie i mean such a friendly guy one of the nicest guys i've ever met I remember my first time when I got to Central, uh, walked in the team meeting room, and he was the first first guy to introduce himself. He had a lot thicker Austrian accent at first. So, <laughs> like, who the hell is this guy? Is, this, is there Arnold Schwarzenegger in here? I had to turn around <laughs> and do a double take for a second. Oh, man. Uh, but, yeah, he's a, he's a great, great friend of mine. Um, great player on and off the field. Really, uh, really a student of the game. I mean – the countless hours me and him have put in together and off the field is, I mean, it just is a true testament, like, of the tale, like, what it takes to play at the be able to get an opportunity at this next level. You can't just do the bare minimum and expect to separate yourself from everyone else. So we really took that upon ourselves, doing extra workouts daily, whether it be weightlifting or position drills. So, like you said, he's all-around great guy fun-loving guy like you can't be beating around bernard i'm not surprised by that in the slightest i think my read on him was exactly that he is a super nice dude that's awesome to hear you guys are so close uh fast forward now to this mm-hmm. draft process you have you know opportunity to go to the senior bowl um opportunity to go to the combine but a hamstring injury a hamstring injury keeps you from you know participating in either of those events you still i think you still you know, took to the bench at the combine but obviously weren't able to do any of the other drills that had to have been such a you know such a di- difficult or disappointing kind of part of the process right i'm sure you wanted to show out the senior bowl and dominate there i'm sure you wanted to show out the combine and show off your athleticism you know how have you kind of handled that through this process and 
you know, how have you handled questions around that in this process? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, like you said, I like when I got injured, yeah, it was absolutely devastating. Like just all over all the years, all the work I put in and this getting these once a life lifetime opportunities uh, kind of per se taken away from me in that instance. Um, it's just devastating, like I said, but biggest takeaway is it's just some adversity at the end of the day. And in order to, in order to be strong through adversity, when you face it at the next level, you got to go through some stuff. So mm -hmm. just building me stronger, allowing me to come back stronger and stronger every day and just got to be able to control what you can control. I mean, could either went one or two ways. I could have let it get me down and just like, been like, Oh, wow, this sucks. But Nope. Came back every day, attacked rehab, continued doing whatever, whatever I could do to get better and better each day. Exactly how you have to respond, Luke. That's, that's phenomenal to hear. How have these 30 visits gone? Have teams talked about where they want to play you in the NFL? I know there has been some discussion around playing right tackle, potentially being kicked inside the guard. You know, what have the, what have those conversations been like and how, how have those gone for you? Yeah. Yeah. Conversations have went very well with teams. Um, see me as a, as a tackle and then, if need be, can kick me in the guard. Um, just be a very versatile player, uh, which is something I really pride myself on. I feel like I could, to be honest with you, play all five spots across the board at very high level. Mm -hmm. Last thing for you, and I'll let you go, Luke. I really appreciate the time. What exactly? I asked all the prospects this. What exactly is the NFL getting in Luke Gadecki? Right? What What is this? What is the league getting on and off the field? Yeah, I mean, on the field, they're just getting a determined guy with laser focus who plays with a, with an extreme chip on his shoulder. I mean, where I'm from, this stuff doesn't happen. So I just really take that to heart, and I, I'm a grinder. I love the grind. A lot of people say they love the grind, but when it's time to grind, they, they get scared. So that's really who I am. I mean, on the field, I'm a surly, I'm a mean guy. I play with a mean streak. I'm nasty out there, like. I'm looking to bury guys. I'm looking to put fear into another grown man's eyes. So that's really, I'm dependable. I mean, very loyal, coachable. Um, and then off the field, they're just getting an outgoing, fun-loving guy. I mean, love life, living it to the fullest, take, making the most of this opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, a childhood dream that's coming, coming to reality. So that's just who they're getting. Hell yeah, man. I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you very much, Austin. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is San Diego State legend. I'm going to say legend, Cameron. Uh, Cameron Thomas, uh, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Uh, thanks for having me on. We have to start. Everyone who listens to my podcast knows I'm a San Diego State guy as well. The big, the two best food places in the college area in San Diego, in my opinion, Senior Ponchos, Trujillo's. Are you a Senior Ponchos guy or Trujillo's guy? And depending on which one, what's your go-to order? Man, that's such a great question. Um, I'm going to go with Trujillo's on this one. And yes. it's a close call. It really is because uh, those California burritos from, from Senior Ponchos, man, it's it's a close <laughs> call. But the re the and I, the reason I say it is for the specific order, which is a uh, crunch wrap there. Yes, uh, the Sigma Kai crunch wrap. Oh, man, yeah, you can't go wrong with that. Super um, – Nah, it's super good, especially for people that don't know Mexican food, man. It's seriously, it's something else. It is absolutely phenomenal. I live in Cincinnati now, and they don't have any any Mexican food like they have in San Diego. That Sigma Chi Crunchwrap keeps me up at night. It is a phenomenal piece. I know that was like Kawhi Leonard's go-to thing, too. He'd get like four at a time back when he was going to San Diego State. <laughs> so I'm glad you're on the Trujillo side of things. You already checked that box on the pre-draft process. I want to ask, 
you know, specifically about what, what, what's your brother's side with? I know you and your brother obviously play there at San Diego State at Zachary Thomas. And we talked a little bit, I talked a little bit with your brother, I think at the East West Shrine Bowl. And he mentioned that you guys would stay after practice every single day. You go work on one-on-ones. You have a really good relationship with him. And he's been a big part of, you know, kind of your upbringing and, and your football career. Talk about your relationship with your brother. Yeah. So my brother, I'm very close to my brother, you know, and um, obviously, you know, my decision is to you know, state with him being there, you know, definitely uh, was a big influence with him being there. Um, to answer your question, though, I think if he had a pick side. I think he's also going to Trujillo's. That's cool. um, he kind of tell me the legends of the country before I even got to San Diego State. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he's definitely familiar uh, with Trujillo's, too. But, um, yeah, if you don't have him at San Diego State with me while I was there, especially him being on the offensive side of the ball, uh, you know, being off the tackle. Um, yeah, you know, I think it really helps um, become also the player who I am today. Yeah. You know, being yeah. able to, uh, you know, be able to go against somebody, you know, you're very comfortable with and just get reps after reps after reps, just helping one each uh, one another. Just, uh, no, I was very lucky to be able to have that and, um, you know, very just blessed. Talking to him, too, at the East West Shrine Bowl, he spoke so highly of you, right? And I know you're the younger brother of the two, and he just thinks that you – thinks the world of you, man. So it's great to hear about how how close you guys are on and off the field. And I love that he's also a Trujillo's guy. You guys can't miss right now. The Thomas family is is just un, undefeated. Um, going back to your San Diego State days, and I want to talk to about the pre-draft process and how that has gone for you. But something I find interesting about your tape and kind of how they played you is you played a lot inside, you played some outside, you were a very inside, outside, versatile player. Is there a specific position that, you know, I guess, no, before we get to that, why do you think, you know, San Diego State wanted to use you up and down the line of scrimmage? Is that something you pushed for? Is that what the coaching staff pushed for? I guess speak to you know, why they deployed you the way they did. Uh, yeah, so um, when I got into San Diego State, you know, I only weighed about 230 pounds. So I, had, <laughs> uh, I ended up registering my freshman year. Uh, you know, to put on a few few pounds. And I remember going into that uh, my first spring camp, which was in the 2019 spring camp. Um, while I was a redshirt freshman and going in, at least going into my redshirt freshman year, and uh, I didn't win the starting end lineup. Um, there was two defensive ends that were uh, had some complaint time on top of me. Uh, one was a senior, one already had a lot of uh, playing experience, and um, yeah, I didn't make the cuts. And and I had I had a one on one meeting with my coach, and uh, I just remember asking him, you know. You know, there's still a spot open in the middle there. Like, what's up with that? And he uh, he went ahead and gave me the shot. And I wow. went ahead and played my uh, my first year as a nose tackle. I weighed about 245 pounds. <laughs> I, had so much, I had so much fun doing it. And, um, yeah, so obviously with – and I, I went into my sophomore year also playing nose tackle. Towards the end of the season, I made my transition to end. But, um, yeah, just experience um, that I had in there, you know, that definitely um, – you want to move back, to, back, back out to end. Uh, there were still a lot of mismatches, you know, going throughout the season where it's like, you know, we have them here at end, but we could also, you know, we could also stick them in here for some packages and really just kind of um, throw out the scheme of offenses. You know, they really got to, um, you know, kind of, you know, block that a little differently, you know. Um, so definitely we kind of just use that to our advantages here. Um, going back a little bit to the recruiting process, obviously you go to San Diego State, your, your brother's there, the familiarity, but what were the other schools that they were interested in you and, and were there different positions they wanted you to play at, right? Obviously at 230 pounds, I'm sure some teams thought about off-ball linebacker or different positions. What was your recruiting process like? What schools were interested in and where they want to play you? Um, yeah, so the recruiting process for me, so my junior year, I really wasn't that highly recruited. Um it wasn't really that highly recruited going on in my junior year. I had uh, Wyoming Navy were my only two offers. Uh, I went to a San Diego State camp after my junior year, like in the summer. 
before going into my senior season. I uh, went there, went to camp. They offered me uh, about a week after. And I basically came in on the spot. Uh, I mean, I knew San Diego State was the place I wanted to be. Um, you know, obviously I'm a brother there, the good mm-hmm. weather, but uh, I knew their defenses, you know, played their hair on fire. And then on top of it, they won games. Uh, very hard to pass that up. However, after my senior year is really when I started to get my recruiting picked up. Mm-hmm. I mean, right after my uh, my um, my uh, senior season, I got uh, Oregon State, um, what's it called, uh, Washington State reached out and uh, so did Nebraska. So, I mean, but at that point, I was very firm in my mm-hmm. uh, decision at San Diego State, and I stuck with it, and I'm very happy I did. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy you did as well. Obviously, as a San Diego State Aztec and a San Diego State fan, it's been fun to watch you over the last few years. Um, you know, in, at San Diego State, I'd love to hear about, you know, specifically for defensive linemen, just how they approach tape and film study going into games. I think it's a chess match within, it's a game within a game as a defensive lineman, right? You have to watch the opponent offensive tackle, the opponent guard, and, and see how they set to set up moves and those different things. When you're watching tape on an opponent in a given game week, what's that process like in the week? And, and what specifically do you look for? Yeah, so preparation is a huge deal for me. Uh, say we're coming off a win on, or sa- on Saturday. Um, you know, before I, it's like impossible for me to go to bed without watching the game film. So I'd always try to steal one of the iPads from one of our coaches. Watch the film. <laughs> um, and then, you know, going into that next day, that Sunday, you know, probably get a little bit of recovery and some like recovery pumps or whatever it was and um, go right back upstairs. I'd probably take my final notes on that game for that week. And then I'm moving into the next week. And um, typically on Sundays, I at, least, I at least like to like memorize our numbers. I mean, seriously, mm-hmm. like stuff like that. I, I was that detailed. Um, and then, you know, just get like a little bit of an idea of who I was going against. Uh, comes around Monday, um, I usually start with just a blank piece of paper. And I would like to, you know, kind of just go from left guard to right guard, um, tight end, running back, quarterback. And I like to just, you know, start jotting notes down. And then this would, so I'd, same thing with practice. I had Mondays, I'd go up, couldn't go to bed without watching practice. I'd watch practice and I'd start getting my film study. And um, I would just fill out from seriously top to bottom. Like for, if I was looking at tackle, you know, I'm going to look at, first I'm going to look at, you know, is he getting off the ball on the cadence or is he getting off the ball? Like, like, is he getting off by himself? Like he's timing up the canes in his head or is he going off the quarterbacks? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I look at like, is he, is he angling his foot different on a um, run pass? Is he a uh, higher low puncher and, and, and pass pro? Is he, you know, does he play high in the run? I mean, I really just try to dissect them. And even like, I even look at his eyes, you know, I like to see is he, is his eyes giving anything away? Just a little stuff. Um, like that. And I had to go all the way across the line, even like, like you said, I played all over the line. I didn't even look at the centers. Can they have a snap, a good snap step? Um, you know, I mean, everything. Uh, that's kind of the interior part. I even look at like the quarterbacks. I look if they're like, seriously, if they're a cadence quarterback and they're a verbal or if they're a clapping quarterback. Yeah. Um, I really like to, I just too, like to dissect these things. And after that, it's formations. And um, my favorite plays I made this year are the ones that you see on the tape. And uh, when you're on the field and you see them on tape and they, you know, and you make a play out of that, those are my favorite plays. Um, so I like to break apart, like, get usually like, formations and uh, stuff from that there. But um, preparation is a huge deal for me. Hearing you say that, it, it sounds like it's such a high priority for you. Do you feel it's a difference maker among other, you know, defensive linemen, edge prospects in this class? Absolutely. Like I said, yeah. Well, there's a couple, when I find a couple of plays out on film that take that to the field, that's just like, you know, I, I just get and jump on even on the offense, you know? Yeah. I know what the offensive lineman is doing. You know, they definitely, uh, I definitely take that to my advantage. Fast forward now to this pre-draft process. You've been battling, I believe, a hamstring injury. It kept you from, you know, participating in the Senior Bowl. It, it slowed you down at the Combine, but you were able to participate at your Pro Day. How has that recovery process been? And I'm sure, 
I'm sure it's been really frustrating, right? I've talked to other guys that have had, you know, na you know nagging injuries in the pre-draft process, and it's limited them from some of the opportunities they want to take advantage of. You know, how have you handled some of that frustration? And I guess, how healthy are you now? Um, yeah, so uh, first off, I like to think San Diego State, you know, I wasn't able to, I was still, I wasn't ready yet on um, March 22nd when they, when they held our, our team pro day. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they really, they gave me another shot and I really appreciate everything they've done for me. Um, but yeah, you know, it's definitely, um, I'm not really, I want to knock on wood by saying this, but you know, I've been very blessed and I, I and I'm not really used to being injured. So it's kind of been, um, it's been different, you know, it, it's definitely been a little bit different through this process, but you know, I'm just keep my chin up every day, just keep working on it. And, um, you know, I'm just excited to, to, you know, participate in a rookie mini camp, you know. How have the team interviews gone? I know you've met with some teams, whether that's at the senior bowl or other parts of this pre-draft process. What are those conversations like? You know, what do they highlight as your strengths and, and where they think you can improve? Um, yeah, you know, those have been great. You know, I really, I really have been enjoying those. And, you know, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's just really cool. Like, man, I'm really talking to all these scenes, you know, that's something, <laughs> you know, when you're like, you're, you're a little kid, you never imagined. It's been a great process, you know, um, but yeah, you know, they definitely, something that definitely sticks out to a lot of these, um, these a lot of these coaches and stuff is definitely my my motor and that's something that you know really makes me happy to hear because that's something i really like tend to tend to um you know emphasize when i play so uh that was really nice to hear what do you you know what do you think is your biggest goal going into the nfl i always ask a lot of players that right what do you what are your expectations for yourself and what are you hoping to set as goals in your first season in the nfl yeah so um you know, unfortunately, uh, San Diego State, they went 12-2 and two this year. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, one of those losses was a championship loss. Um, so that's what I want to do. I want to win a Super Bowl. That's something, you know, even my first year, like, that is, like, that is my goal. I really want to go in there and win a Super Bowl. Um, you know, as a, um, I guess, as a, as a player, you know, I definitely just want to go in there and contribute to any team. And, um, Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate the time. I'll let you know this. If you don't get drafted into you know, L.A. or whatever, the, the, the Mexican food is probably at its peak there in San Diego. Eat as much of it as you can before you go on to the NFL. Cameron, this has been fantastic, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. I really appreciate you for having me on.